she's shown there um, living rough on the streets of Lebanon. And uh, I think she's uh, asleep on a car, in a car seat, an old car seat. That was how um, she used to sleep rough. Uh, she's very well known in the area where she lived. Um, and probably because of the life uh, that she lived, which would have been pretty uncomfortable and unpleasant and, and dangerous in many ways, she died at a relatively young age. She was actually only 53 when she died. And when she died, um, the police found that actually she had quite a lot of trash on her. And then when they looked into her background a little more, as they tried to find um, living relatives and prepare for her burial, etc., they discovered that actually Fatima had a few savings accounts. In fact, she had the equivalent of nearly a million pounds in the bank. You're astonished, aren't you? It is astonishing. It's a really sad story as well, isn't it? But it, it is also very astonishing. Why would somebody choose to live that way when they're so wealthy? Why? Well, I want to tell you this morning that I think so many of us live lives that are impoverished in some way when actually we have access to great wealth. Now, one or two of you are thinking, yeah, what million pounds would that be to? I'm talking about lives that can be greatly enriched by just knowing how much God loves us. By recognizing the extent of Christ's power that is in us. It's just as though some of us live our lives not knowing how much riches we've got in the bank account. Either that or we do know, but we live our lives for some reason constantly in fear of being overdrawn. When in fact, God's riches are never ending. We're currently going through a series of talks here on a Sunday morning entitled More. And uh, we're looking together at Ephesians, which is a letter written to churches in Asia. And we've chosen that title more because the writer, the Apostle Paul, is trying to expand our horizons. It's like he's saying, there's a lot there in the bank account. And he wants his readers and he wants us to understand that better. He wants us to understand how huge God's purposes are. Um, he wants to understand the incredibly high goals that he has for his church and how they're going to be accomplished. And now in this series, we've got to chapter 3 of this letter. And the first 13 verses are useful as a reminder for those of us who've been um, tracking so far. Um, because here Paul talks about um, God's great plan, which is the theme of the book. He talks about the revelation of that, how we as a church are intended to be diverse, but unified. And how that unity is going to send a really powerful message to God's opposition. He's telling us good news that God's kingdom has come and that Christ has already accomplished this. And what you get from this book, which is just so fabulous, is 
whole sense of great excitement because he wants everyone to share this vision. It's been revealed to him, but he wants everybody to join in and enjoy the richness of this life. And if you stay with us for the next few weeks, you're going to hear more about the implications of all of this for the way that we live our lives. But for now, though, what happens is Paul pauses and he prays for the reader to his letter. It's as if he gets to this point and he realizes, right, enough explanation. I've, I've told you enough at this point. Now his readers, what they need, they need revelation. They need empowerment from the Spirit if they are going to get it, if they are going to see this amazing vision come about. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to read Paul's prayer together. And we're going to start reading at verse 14 of chapter 3. So do read along with me. The words are going to come up on the screen. um, But do feel feel free to follow on your own devices if you so wish. So before I start reading, I, I just want to pray for us all. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. And what we're looking at this morning is a particularly beautiful piece of scripture. And it is familiar to many of us. And so my prayer is that I don't get in the way of that beauty. And also that as we hear words that seem familiar, that we would all of us hear them afresh and hear what you're saying to us this morning. So Hebrews 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Just going to pause at that point. We see that verse 16 talks about God's glorious riches. And what specific riches does Paul want his readers to know about? Well, it's all about love, and it's about power. And he says these gifts are key to living the life that we were created to live. So I'm going to start by looking at power. And as we do that, I'm reminded that, of course, Paul was writing to people who may well have been involved in the occult. They may have worshipped little stone statues. They may have revered the Roman emperor as though he were a god. So just like us, they would be very tempted to look in the wrong place for power. Um, But back at the beginning of the letter, Paul wrote about the true God, the God who made the world, the God who made himself known through his son Jesus. So it is his power that Paul is praying for. So verses 16 and 17, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
the power that Paul has experienced, he pointed that out in verse 7. He had confidence in it. He says, in fact, this is the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And then he says that same power is available for us. It's available for us to tap into every single day. But we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to actually believe that, to actually grab hold of that power. And Paul says we need that power so that Christ may dwell in us. If you're a Christian, then you have Christ in you. And that word dwell tells us that Christ isn't just passing through. He doesn't just visit occasionally with his power. Paul is encouraging us to let Christ settle down in our hearts, dwell in our hearts, and control and strengthen us. We just had a series of great talks on risk-taking. I don't know how many of those you caught, but we talked about, we talked about things like risk, taking a risk to reach out to other people, um, taking a risk to pray for healing. Um, this inner strength, this Christ in us, is what propels us to be risk-takers. And from my own experience, I can say that that power is not all about showy demonstrations. For me, it's the power to stop doing something harmful and choose to do something that's good. It's the power for many of us to pray quietly behind the scenes for this church and all of us. For you, it might be the power to work hard at a relationship which is proving really difficult. In verse 20, Paul prays, according to God's power that is at work within us. This is within us individually and within us as a church. Pretty amazing that he chooses to work through us. So how do we recognize that truth? Because there are riches there in the bank account for us to take hold of. Don't need to live a poor life. And my second and third points are all about love. The word love crops up a lot in this letter. Verse 17 goes on I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Now, last week, Steve explained to us so clearly that the people who first read Paul's letter were really quite a divided bunch, weren't they? So they were divided culturally. They were divided racially, and we can certainly identify some of those divisions um, today. But love for God and love for one another brings about the sort of stability that we see in a well-rooted tree or a well-built house, rooted and established. In spring, um, just last year, three people who I know quite well, were all diagnosed with cancer. And so they're in the space of just a few months. And they've all had a pretty, pretty difficult time since then. They've gone through um, horrible, debilitating treatments. They've lived with uncertainty. Uh, they and their families have experienced anxiety. But they all 
still here and they have all made progress to a greater or lesser extent. What I observed was that my two friends who know Jesus have shown a stability towards him. I'm not going to belittle the extent to which their world has been completely rocked by this diagnosis. But I have seen the roots that they have put down into their flesh. It has given them a rock-solid foundation for every aspect of their life. The third person is a close family member, and he doesn't yet know Jesus. But my prayer is that he and all of us need to know this sort of stability, this rooting and establishing in God's word. Do you know that well? Paul goes on to pray in verses 18 and 19 that we may have power, there's that word again, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. His love, Christ's love, is enough to, broad enough to embrace everybody. In this context, um, readers would have been astonished to hear that God loved people who weren't Jewish. And today we're still taken aback that God loves everybody, aren't we? Especially ourselves, because we know how unlovable we are, don't we? And this love is long enough to last for all eternity and deep enough for the worst of sinners to find sufficient grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. And Paul says this, this love surpasses knowledge, so getting to know it might seem like a bit of a lost cause. But um, I think the reference to, in verse 18 to all the Lord's holy people, that to me is really crucial. Because, you know, today's society encourages us um, to think of ourselves purely as individuals. Me, me, me. It's all about me as an individual. But the Bible makes it completely clear that we're not expected to do life alone. One reason for, for this is that together we help each other, don't we? Because we help one another to understand the extent of God's love as we share different experiences, different backgrounds. Some people share their stories with me, share their lives with me, show that they care for me. I begin to see that my own individual little experience is part of a bigger picture. It's part of this big family here. And it's part even of God's plan for the whole of the world. So being a regular Sunday worshipper and part of one of our small groups really helps me to know God's love. Why would you choose to live as a homeless person when you have an invitation to be part of a loving family? It makes no sense. Which leads me to worship and prayer. When I pray or worship God, I love Him more. I experience His love for me more. And I experience His power more. I experience his 
things. And I spent an awful lot of money. A couple of vineyard pastors wrote this. Our challenge is to take time to let God love us and not let the busyness of life or ministry cloud out our relationship with him. And one way that we can do that, I think, is that we can engage in what we call contemplative prayer. Now, when it comes to prayer, I think I'm pretty good at remembering to pray for my friends and my family and this church and this government. Um, I'm good at lists. I'm a list person and I have lists. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus taught us that we should bring all of our requests for ourselves and other people to God. Nothing wrong with that. But the issue is that intimacy can get crowded out. And it is a vineyard value that everything we do, our ministry, needs to be rooted in that intimacy with God. So, I ask you, how frequently are you brought to a place of rest in prayer so that you can just wonder at the width, length, height, and depth of the love of God? Jesus needed to rest in that love regularly. So how much more do we need to? But it's not easy. I am pretty rubbish at this, I have to say. I've started, um, well, I've tried this on many occasions, but my most recent thing is setting the timer on my phone for five minutes to just be quiet. Maybe meditate on a, a Bible verse to allow me to enjoy God's presence and receive his love and power. And they're on cue, actually. There, there is my first school girl error, isn't it? Because I set the timer on my phone and I am immediately faced with, I exaggerate a little, but about a million distractions and things that look far more exciting than sitting quietly. So, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. There are so many distractions as I look out on my garden, um, you know, to contemplate the beauty of God's creation. I can see things that need cutting back and weeds that have grown through the patio. As I contemplate looking around my home, I can see chores that need to be done. It is a battle. I know that Pete Gregg, who we were talking about earlier, has a chapter on this sort of prayer, meditation and contemplation, in his new book. So why not come along in September? Come along when you visit and learn more because I, I believe it is worth pressing into this intimacy with God. Just take the opportunity, maybe over the holidays, to slow down a little and just hang out with Him. Maybe listening to worship. We had such a lovely demonstration this morning of how worship helps us to receive God's love for us. But it doesn't have to just be on a Sunday morning. We can listen to worship ourselves and let it draw us closer to God. Friends who are better uh, at this than me tell me that they begin to enjoy these rituals that I'm talking about. And I see it. I see it in their lives. And when I practice it, I do find 
for their destination. But there's even more. There's even more. My last point. Paul prays that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verse 19. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We often say there's always more. There's more available to you this morning if you don't know Jesus personally yet. It's great to have you here with us. Um, You are so very welcome. I'm glad you find your way here. And you're free, which is good. There's more available for you, and there's more available for those of us who have been following him for a really long time. We read back at the start of this letter to the Ephesians that we are already blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's there in the bank account. But we need an appetite to know this, to experience these Christian riches more deeply. Because we can go on being filled with the Spirit. We can go on embracing and experience more power and receiving more love. We always have room for more growth. I don't know if you've been using our Bible readings. We have this Bible plan that's available at the back at the book desk. Um, It's a great idea for, I think it's eight weeks of readings, maybe, over the summer. Not too late to pick that up and start it. And not too late to buy um, Tom Wright's book. This is a really easy-to-read guide um, to the book of Ephesians and other letters that he wrote while he was in prison. I was very struck by something that Tom Wright wrote in that commentary. He said this about our lives. He said, Our lives are meant to be a delighted exploration of untold and inexhaustible riches. Like going from room to room in a huge palace. And he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now. So we've been praying a really bold prayer along with Paul this morning. But he is praying in confidence. Because he is praying to the Father who possesses infinite riches. And he ends with verses 20 and 21, which we're now going to read together. And in these verses, he's praying to his God who is working powerfully. So this is why he ends his lovely prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul gives God the glory. God can answer our prayers. God does answer our prayers. But there's more. Because his expectations are higher than ours. He's able to do much more than we ever even imagined to ask him for. He doesn't measure out his love and his power in mean little billions. When I was growing up, we didn't have um, we didn't have surplus wealth. I, I had a roof over my head. There was always food on the table, but there was nothing left for treats on the holidays. So when at school they would talk about an opportunity to go on a trip, 
looked at the centre pedestal, they said money. Or they said, you know, the school can't afford to buy this textbook, but it would be really helpful. Ask your mum and dad to buy it for you. I just never took those requests on. I never doubted that my parents loved me. They loved me to bits. But they didn't have the resources. And I knew that if I went home and, and mentioned these things, well, there would have been a bit of embarrassment and, and maybe a bit of cussing here and there that, to make it happy for me, which I was such a sensible child that I didn't think, you know, should happen. I have had to learn that my Heavenly Father is the God of superabundance. And what Paul celebrates here, that is, God is more than capable of doing all that he's told, and so much more. We can all know God's glorious riches of love and power in ways that we can just not, just not even imagine this morning. I said that as we continue to read this letter over the coming weeks, we're going to hear more from Paul about he exhorts us all to live lives which are worthy of the divine call. But it all starts with prayer. It all starts with prayer. And so just as Paul has been praying for his Ephesian readers, I want to pray for all of us now. And back in verse 12, Paul actually referred to one of the many blessings that we have which is that we have completely free and confident access to God himself, which is pretty amazing. So in that confidence, I'm going to pray for all of us. So would you like to stand with me? got the message that um, we don't need to live lives that are impoverished in any way. There are great riches there. And I want to pray for all of us that we would know and experience these riches. And this is such a beautiful piece of scripture. I'm simply going to pray it over all of us now. Heavenly Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being. I pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. that we would all experience being rooted and established in God's love. And that we would have the power together with all the Lord's holy people around us this morning. We would have the power to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep 
Experience that love and experience those riches. 